Hello, hello, lovely listeners. All of you ghouls and goblins. And everything in between. Welcome to Across the Veil with Zelda and Emma. So, lovely listeners, we're bringing you something a little bit different this week. We've been talking about what we wanted to do on this podcast, and I thought it would be fun to get a few more people involved. So, for this week's very special episode, we have an expert. Expert, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm uh, Devin Kimball. I'm Zelda's dad, and um, I'm the managing director of Specific Gravity Beverage Company, which makes beer in Singapore. And I was the founder of Brewworks in 1997, so I've I've been in the craft beer business for longer than Zelda has been alive. I remember mom telling me that she was she would seat people at tables while she was heavily pregnant with me at Brewworks. Yeah, that was we had a it was a Valentine's Day actually <laughs> and we were we were really busy and it's a big restaurant and it was hard to get enough people to work then so she uh, she actually made some money. Got tip. <laughs> Tips. <laughs> I remember one guy pulling up a chair and say, oh, sweetie, you should be sitting down. <laughs> and she should have been because Valentine's Day is the 14th and my birthday is the 17th. Yeah, so that was that was pretty close. That was pretty <laughs> darn close. Yes, all this to say, my dad is an expert on beer. And that's something we kind of needed for this very special episode. Well, let's let's see what we got. Well, so everyone knows about leprechauns, obviously, but have you ever heard about their boozy cousins? So my family, we've recently taken a bunch of ancestry tests and we're pretty Irish, you know, for the most part, but I thought it would be really fun to discuss the clericon, which is the lesser known relative of the leprechaun. So the etymology for leprechaun comes from the old Irish word for small, which was loo, and body, which is core, and the word leprechaun was popularized sometime around the 17th century. But it was also kind of a catch-all for little folk, which is why the names sound so similar. The wee folk were said to inhabit the land of Ireland before the Celts arrived about 500 BC. Leprechauns are generally associated with Ireland in general, as well as St. Patrick's Day, but the often left out clericons I think, are just as entertaining as their fellow mischief makers. They're known for their love of drinking, which associates them with the hauntings of breweries, pubs, and wine cellars. And you know, if I was an entity, these seem like the best places to haunt. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree, Dad? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if if I were going to haunt, you'd want to haunt someplace where you'd like to be. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all down with the clericons on that one. Yeah, I don't want to hunt any old, I don't want to haunt any old dusty houses. Give me a brewery. Why not? So why do they call them, what does Clara, I mean, if they're little leprechauns or little people, then what is the Claricon part of it? It it all comes from kind of the same etymology. It's just different regions have different little names. It's just another word for little, where it's like, you know, in English, we have small, petite, tiny. It's one of those. Well, it's kind of funny. I was just thinking about it because the um, I, I know that they're they're known to haunt wine cellars, and I think you'll talk about that a little bit. But um, 
the British call Bordeaux wine, they call it claret. Oh. Um, and I, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about this before, but a claret is kind of a it's kind of a good word for, you know, some something that haunts a wine cellar. A lot of the wine in, in Great Britain, um, in Ireland, comes from the Bordeaux region because that was historically part of England, actually. It kind of mm -hmm. went along Eleanor of Aquitaine and and uh, back in the day. And you'll you'll see actually in Bordeaux, there's a lot of Irish names associated. Uh, Burton and and Taylor and there, there's a whole host of these that uh, you know show up on on French wine labels. That, oh, how uh, funny! Is kind of interesting. So, you know, there, there's a there's a tremendous connection, and um, you know, to to me that that rings true. That that makes a lot more sense than that going for beer than bread. And you know, when you talk about beer. And you talk about fermentables, if you look at these old recipes, and there's been recipes around, I think McGovern is, is identified yeast 7,000 BC and further back than that in, in the China. And, and in fact, Dogfish Head has made some beer with that yeast in the Etruscan tombs. And they work with Dogfish Head. Um, McGovern works with uh, San Collagione at Dogfish Head to do some of these beers. They've got one called Midas Touch, uh, which is some scrapings from a, you know, early Mesopotamian vessel. But but what, what they find is it's beer that we know it now is defined by the Reinbatzgebot as, as three ingredients. Um, they didn't know what yeast was, so that wasn't the fourth ingredient that people often cite. Water, uh, grain, malted grain, barley, and, um, oh, and hops. So the fact is that beer was really made with anything fermentable. So it could be dates if you've got them around. It could be grapes if you've got them. It could be honey. Um, it could be a, a whole range of things. And, and what we find about yeast too, actually one of the hardest things about making hard seltzer out of sugar is there's very little nutrition in white sugar. So the yeast, you have to feed it vitamins basically to make hard seltzer because uh, unlike grain, there's not much for the yeast to chew on as it were, to survive in, in like something that's just sugar. So, so yeah. you're telling me a white claw a day keeps the doctor away because there's vitamins in it? No, no, that was for, <laughs> that's for, only for the yeast. The yeast used up all the vitamins for, I, I don't know, maybe there's vitamin C if you get an orange one or you know, <laughs> vitamin E or something. Yeah, it's it's strictly for medicinal purposes. I don't <laughs> think it's for for health tonic reasons. No, what I'm saying is that beer wasn't strictly just the the small number of ingredients that we know it now. Is they'd throw anything in there, um, and, and yeast has acculturated itself over years for eating uh, all kinds of different sugars. Um, anyway, Great. yeah, I, no, sure. it's great. Now we know a lot more about the science of beer. Yeah, so you know, I'm I'm sure that these uh, clericons, um, you know, they were they were helping out with this, and and the reason that they were there is that humans needed a little help, and it took a while. You can you can basically take anything that's sweet, open it up to the environment, 
and it'll start to ferment. So people who say that they're, they don't drink alcohol, and if you've had orange juice in your refrigerator for three days, it's, it's going to have traces of alcohol in it because yeast and bacteria eat sugars and it breaks down into alcohol and CO2. And one of the things about beer is, you know, throwing all this stuff into it or wine, it was probably pretty awful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, it made you feel good, but I don't know how good it tasted. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, what we're used to is when we make a beer, we make a wine, we boil everything or we use sulfur dioxide in wine and it kills all of the bacteria. And then we add back in, we add back in the yeast that we've chosen. So you get a certain strain of yeast that you like and, and yeast produces flavors and um, th things that you're, you're looking for in, in it. Um, in fact, there's a brewery in San Diego and what they do is they make one wort stream and then they apply three or four or five different yeasts to it. And even though it's got the same grain and the same hops and the same water, and it came out of the same brewery, by putting a different yeast into it, you get very different flavors. So ye so that flavor and each, you know, each uh, brewery will have its own house strain or a strain that they use in particular. And these strains were actually, until Pasteur, we didn't know what they were. Um, and Pasteur looked under a microscope and he, he figured it out that it wasn't spontaneous fermentation. So up to his time, that's what they thought it was. A and little bit of magic. Uh, it was magic, you know? And, and basically what you did was you took stuff that had been next to the stuff that fermented well and, and you reused that. Oh, great. Well, now that we've know now that we know all <laughs> a little bit of the history of beer, let me give you some history about clericons. So folks say that clericons are the cousins of leprechauns, and their similarities are pretty strong, especially in the folklore. They're both known as guardians of hidden treasure, and they've often been mixed into one entity that makes shoes. You remember that scene at the beginning of the movie Elf? Yeah, it's kind of like that. You know, different species of elves do different things. They're not all mending shoes. Some of them are wrapping Christmas presents or baking cookies in a tree. Sometimes, in the Clericon's case, they're getting drunk. They're just having a good time. <laughs> and we gotta respect them for that. Some folks suppose Clericon's are just leprechauns on boozy binges, but others associate them with regional variants of the same entity. All that we really do know for certain is that they are members of the Fae who are pretty solitary and their domain involves places where alcohol is produced and stored. Most clericon stories hail from Munster and other southern provinces. Supposedly, clericans are always drunk, if not a little perpetually tipsy, but they are known to be more grumpy than leprechauns. Many traditional stories tell of them joyriding sheep or even dogs during the nighttime and causing a ruckus. But if they're treated well, they're known to protect your wine cellar. Folklorist Nicholas O'Kearney describes the clericon as Bacchus-like, with a red face, riding a wine butt like a horse, full tankard in hand, making noise to scare away dishonest people who would steal your booze. However, if they're treated poorly, or you happen to disrespect these very tempestuous creatures, 
they will spoil your wine and turn the most expensive ones corked. And any wine connoisseur such as yourself would be very upset with an expensive bottle being corked. Clericons have a nasty habit of following rich but selfish wine owners around in the barrels that are used to store the wine. They've been known to pinch winemakers who are stingy with their wine, so make sure you share. The only way to get a grumpy clericon out of the barrel is to either burn it or bless it. And these little guys do not like holy objects or anything religious. So for the wine, you actually had some thoughts about why, why the clericons seem tied to the barrel. To toast a barrel is a pretty traditional thing to do. And, you know, you could see this as, as why do you do it? Well, it, it add, imparts flavor, but it also helps to, to um, kill the bacteria that might have been in that, uh, that barrel. And so that, you know, you could get these barrels that would spoil things, but if you burn them, it would clear the clear up the bacteria, would kill the bacteria, and then you could put something else into it. And often what they put into it is spirits. Go from not like ghosts, it. though. Not ghost spirits. The no, drinkable like alcohol, spirits. So like drinkable spirits, like whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, or, or the other thing is they'd, they'd reuse them, right? So you'd reuse the, the wine barrels. One of the things that you have to do with wine barrels is you have to keep, uh, or any kind of barrel that's wooden, is you have to keep liquid into it because it'll dry out and the staves will, um, the staves will dry out and it'll leak. So, you know, even when you're not using it for wine, you'll keep it full of, of water so that it, it doesn't end up leaking. Nice. Well, if you were curious, it's pretty easy to separate a clericon from a leprechaun. Clericon are typically depicted holding a jug of ale, usually accompanied with a leather apron and a hammer. It is very insulting to a leprechaun if you confuse it with a clericon, so make sure you know the difference. Clericons wear red and plum colors instead of neutrals and greens like leprechauns. Clericons are also known to have wild facial hair. The clericon is known to carry a magical purse, and sometimes this object is depicted as a pewter beggar's cup, but basically this is the thing that the creature holds in order to extort money from people. Sometimes it is said to contain a magical shilling that always returns to the purse of the owner, no matter what happens to the coin. This is called the lucky shilling. So the lucky shilling is really important to the mythos of the clericon, but you actually think you have a scientific reason for why this coin, which is so important for, you know, never being able to be spent, comes up in the mythology. I don't remember. That's the, that's the yeast coin that you were talking oh, about. Oh, yes. We were talking about you need something that that always returns, right? So because we didn't know what, what yeast was, you couldn't go out and culture up a yeast, which is what we do. We, we raise it we, um, uh, whenever we make a beer. And um, what they would do is take something and throw it back into the, to the vat. So you take something that was from a vat that was successful and it worked and and you reuse that yeast again. Um, the Norwegians actually have these crowns that absorb the yeast. And they pull it out and they hang it on the wall. And when they brew the next time, they they throw it into the they throw it into the yeast mm -hmm. uh, or into the vat. 
um, that they're they're brewing on, and that's restarts the fermentation because the yeast gets into the everything. I mean, yeast is everywhere. the The wine grapes will spontaneously ferment. You crush them, um, and there's yeast. A lot of the white yeast is on the outside of them. So this the shilling is probably something to do with that. The other thing that it made me think about was there was actually if you would accept the king's shilling. Um, they could press you into service in the Royal Navy. And because beer wasn't exactly clear, they would come in pewter mugs. Um, and, and what these agents, unscrupulous agents for the British Royal Navy would do is they would put a shilling into the, into the pewter mug. And as you drank it, You'd say, oh, what is this, this shilling? And once you touched it, you had accepted that, and technically they could press you into service. Ooh, tricky, tricky. Well, which is very tricky. It's kind of, and then... <laughs> it's very clericon of you to do to trick yeah, exactly. Well, are big tricksters. And what you'll see um, sometimes is a pewter mug with a glass bottom in it. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, is that you could, you could see, you could look at, hold it up to the light and you could see if there was a shilling on the bottom of it. So you didn't get pressed into service, you know, some far, far flung place in the Royal Navy um, was one of the, was one of the reasons. But yeah, you know, the other thing that was funny that you remarked about uh, red and plum, those are obviously colors of wine, um, leather aprons. You know, back in the day, if you're dealing with hot wort in a brewery, there's a lot of hot water and, and you know, boiling, sugary wort. Um, leather was the thing that protected you. If you wore cotton or um, in, any kind of material that would absorb the water, you could get burned. Oh. So, so you needed to have, you know, if the if the hot wart would splash on you, you'd open a valve accidentally, you'd hit it sideways. Um, so you wear something that that protects you from the heat of this. So I can understand that. Now the facial hair is kind of funny because with the hipster brewing culture now, <laughs> we've kind of gone back to gone back to a lot of a lot of facial hair. So I, I think we've got more clericons brewing now than we we have in the past so it's that, great they hide in plain sight they they do they're they're everywhere now the magic clericons mm -hmm. and their red faces you know sometimes when i drink a little bit too much i get red around the nose and cheeks so it's all they're very rosy creatures absolutely yeah yeah well the most well-known clericon tale is called the haunted cellar which was famously told by thomas crofton croker in 1825 most of what we know of these creatures is what we learn in this story. Are you ready to hear a little bit of Clericon lore? Absolutely. Many generations ago, there was a man named Justin McCarthy who had inherited a family estate in Ballinascarthy, which is a little village in West Cork. Apologies for my butchering of that name. His family was fabulously wealthy, and they were very well known for their extensive wine cellar. Unlike other members of his family, Justin was very generous with his wine, and he shared it both with his friends and the household staff. Even though he was said to be a good employer, he could never keep a butler around. Every time he sent a new butler into the wine cellar, they'd come up, pale as a ghost, refusing to ever go back down. 
Justin was always very confused as nothing ever happened when he went to grab his wine. There was a stable boy who worked for the McCarthys named Jack, who thought he was very brave. He figured he could deal with whatever was in the cellar and earn himself a pay and a status raise, so one day he went to Mr. McCarthy and offered his services, which were granted on a trial basis. Jack was a hard worker, and all was going well until one day Mr. McCarthy decided to go hunting with friends, and he had asked Jack to grab him some wine for them to enjoy when they got back. Jack crept down to the cellar with a basket for wine. He was a bit nervous because of the fate of all of these past butlers, and wine cellars are kind of scary. They're cavernous and dark, and I know I wouldn't want to go into one alone. As he was going down the stairs, Jack heard crashing from inside the cellar and crazed laughter. He took a moment to convince himself that it was just in his head, and he walked confidently into the cellar. The laughter became louder, and it echoed around the room, scaring Jack half to death. The racks of wine shook with an unseen force, and Jack heard a great commotion coming towards him, almost like a wild animal had somehow gotten loose. Fearing for his life, Jack turned on his heels and ran out of the cellar. A curious Mr. McCarthy was waiting for him at the top of the cellar steps, wondering why it was taking so long for the boy to fetch the wine. Seeing Jack's failed pace angered Mr. McCarthy, who marched into the cellar to confront the creature that was making his life so difficult. He burst into the room and was greeted by the sight of a tiny man who had a ruddy complexion and wore a red nightcap. That's it, roared Mr. McCarthy. I've had it with you chasing my butlers away and scaring the life out of them. You've drunk my wine and abused my generosity for far too long. I'm moving away tomorrow and you are never to darken my door ever again. The clericon grinned and said, if you move, I will follow you. I am the protector of the McCarthy wine, and only a member of the family who has let me live and drink from their stores is allowed to take wine from this cellar. Seeing that there was nothing to do, Mr. McCarthy sighed, picked a few bottles out, with recommendations from the clericon naturally, and made his way back upstairs. After that night, he'd always go and fetch his own wine, and share a little bit with the little man who was so determined to protect it. So that's our Clericon story. <laughs> that, that was nice of him. The, the Clericon reminds a character in brewing lore called the Jolly Brewer. Mm-hmm. That You'll see him in Britain. You'll see him in um, Germany. Um, Bomberg, there's a, there's a famous uh, little brewery there that, that has a, a Jolly Brewer in the hat. I'm, I'm sure they all come from very similar, very similar stories that are told by, you know, you've had a few beers, you're with other brewers, and you're like, oh, here's this great story I heard. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting about butlers, where that was really a big part of their job, was taking care of, of wine cellars. You know, I haven't looked it up, but the etymology of butler almost like, sounds like taking care of wine butts and... Mm-hmm. and and doing that. The owner needs to be concerned about his own wine cellar. He can't just turn it over to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I guess and that's it's the... been protected by his family for generations. That's the, yeah. that's the moral there. Yeah, you can't, you know, mm-hmm. if you're if you're gonna use it, you need to be you need to be careful and you need to yeah. be um Important you need advice. to be concerned and you need to be involved. In it, mm-hmm. I guess, is, is really what the story of that is. And I, Important you know, advice. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the Clericon knows how much work went into it. And I, I guess it's, you know, strings the generations through, right, is, is to make sure that it just doesn't get abused. Yep. So that was actually an abridged version of the original tale. As with most folklore stories, there are many, many versions, and storytellers are known to add their own little personal flavor. In the original, the Clericon is described as about six inches tall, with a face like a withered apple, twinkling eyes, and a red and purple nose. He's got a red nightcap, a short leather apron, and blue stockings. In some versions of the story, he's even given a name, Naginan. And there are other Clericon tales, like the one about Billy McDaniel, who is a young man who was offered a glass of liquor by a Clericon after a night out. He takes the drink, but refuses to pay, and is then forced by the creature into servitude for seven years because of this rudeness. The curse is broken by a blessing from a priest, but the Clericon in this one is pretty scary. He's able to pass through keyholes and can transform bog rushes into mounts and ride them like wild horses. He also flies in the air, kind of like a witch, just on a teeny stick instead of a broom. <laughs> Yet another tale has a clericon haunt the cellar of a Quaker with a very lazy staff. Whenever the beer barrel was left running, the clericon, named Little Wild Bean, would wedge himself inside the barrel opening to keep the beer intact. One night, the cook brought him scraps from the table instead of a piece of the main meal. This infuriated Little Wild Bean, who actually was said to drag the cook down the cellar stairs and left them covered in bruises and bedridden for weeks for their neglect. It's kind of funny, the Little Wild Bean sounds a little like the boy in the dike keeping his finger in it so that the, it wouldn't flood the Holland. Do you remember that story? So, you know, he was trying to keep the, the wine from coming out i you know i, I guess it, you're kind of doing a, a deal with these guys right you're mm -hmm. you're saying hey um you know i'll treat you well and you treat me well and and things will go well you know and, and it's pretty much about respect right they, that's all they're looking for it's interesting that seven years of servitude for billy mcdaniel that was uh pretty much what indentured servants got um and a lot of the indentured people that came to the United States were Irish. So probably has some echoes of uh, some of that colonial history of America. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you don't pay for your liquor, you got to work for it. <laughs> That's an important lesson, young Billy. <laughs> and also with the Quaker story, the being dragged down the cellar steps could also be the cook got a little too drunk on its own sauce and blamed a clericon. That's falling down the set of stairs does sound like something somebody who got a little too tipsy would do. It, it's been known to happen, I would imagine. <laughs> so clericons are also incredible wordsmiths, and they're very proud of this fact. If you have the chance, offer one a bit of whiskey and he'll spin you a wild yarn. But be warned that despite his small stature, he will drink you under the table and leave you the next morning with empty pint glasses and a pounding head. Honestly, worth it. <laughs> Lots of fun drinking with the Clericon, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Story. Well, that sounds that sounds fun. I hope is there anything that we missed that we should we should talk about a little bit more? What else? What else is there to say about, you know, beer, wine, clericons, folklore in general? Well, I you know, we talked about at one point we talked about witches and the traditional garb 
of witches that I think is kind of interesting that you have these associations with uh, um, supernatural, strange characters. Um, most of the beer, probably in the Middle Ages to late Middle Ages, was made by women who are known as brewsters, not brewers. And in a day when a lot of the population was was unlettered, was illiterate, um, a lot of symbols were used to indicate that somebody was doing something. <clears throat> so these Brewsters would go to a fair and, and take their, their wares along with them. And they'd wear these big pointy hats um, because women aren't nearly as tall as men are and these big hats would stick up and you could see them with this big cauldron of, of beer um, that they were dishing out to people at the fair. So, you know, you had the black cauldron, they're, they're boiling this stuff, they're making beer and they're wearing these hats so you can see them across. And then the inn, the traditional symbol for an inn that sold uh, beer was a broom. And they'd hang that out the window um, and so, you know, there's speculation that what was happening of turning these witches into bad, bad actors is <laughs> that, uh, you know, as we started to get into a more industrial age and, and we started to realize that there was, the capitalists started to realize that there was money involved in, in making beer. Oh, um, there it is. That's always, there it is. <laughs> the, pat, the patrimony came in and said, hey, you know, these, these witches are taking you know they're bad don't buy your beer from them buy them from the guy who put some capital together and and built a brewery and and don't buy it from you know your local vor witch uh that's wearing a lot of this traditional stuff which we should bring back the tradition of witches making beer i think that's something we need to start that's a real witch's brew that's really a witch's brew well and you know it kind of goes back to what we were talking about about beer being magic mm -hmm. as well as as you didn't know where this this came from um and so it was kind of an important thing yeah. right was to mm -hmm. have the so obviously these women are doing something dark and mysterious to you know make me go home with more homely women or etc like they're doing crazy things to the beer i don't know what she's put in this yeah it's a potion right it's a mm -hmm. potion it's a love potion they've they've beguiled me um so you know i think that's there there's a lot of this mythology around alcohol and it's interesting you know you talk talk about the clericons being loquacious you know having kind of the gift of gab or of poetry and I just saw something about alcohol and evolution and about some of the bad stuff that it does to you, but it also tends to give you ideas and make you romantic and um, come up with things uh, because it, it inhibits you from a lot of the other issues that you have when in thinking about stuff. And so there's some evolutionary good, you know, the, um, that comes out of it. And it's this kind of like a, a little bit's fine um, because you, you need to be steadfast most of the time, but too much of it will will ruin you. And I think that's that's kind of the, um, you know, that's kind of one of the, the lessons 
that everybody has to learn is that uh, what the right moderation. Values, everything, including moderation from time <laughs> to time. Well, lovely. Thank you so much for chatting with me about Clericons. My, my pleasure. And um, I, I hope to meet one. I haven't seen him inside my wine fridge, but I'm sure that I'll encounter him. He's not very big, so he, he probably could live inside my wine fridge. So if I, if I see him one day, I'll, I'll uh, recommend him. <laughs> well, I could make some witchy beer on my own and I'll call it across the ale and I'll ship across you some. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, that's, you know, because the brewer for specific gravity is, is actually a woman. A woman, yeah. Yeah, a brewster. Um, brew queen, she is, says on her on her business cards, um, and she does some pretty magic stuff. So, definitely. So I'll have to ask her for some tips and tricks when I make my very to. own home brew. Well, the the in the United States, um, and actually, I guess it's international, but the women's brewing society is called the Pink Boots Society, and Terry Farndorf, who used to brew down in Irvine uh, for Steelhead. Um, she's the one who founded it, and uh, we've spent time with her here in, in Singapore. But, um, you know, particularly now, I think we've seen some pretty gruesome news on Twitter about the treatment of people in the craft brewing industry. And we've seen several top males um, fall and lose their jobs because of their bad behavior, which is about time. You know, it, it's kind of nice to see back to empowering some more people because these beverages are not exclusive to one gender or color or lifestyle than another you know every everybody likes to have a beer everybody likes to have a glass of wine everybody likes to have a cognac or a whiskey from time to time so um, you know al alcohol tends to be very inclusive and very very human so it's kind of nice that you know, hopefully we get back to that, that kind of laddish behavior with pen up girls to sell calendars with beer and, and that kind of thing. You know, hopefully we're, we're moving beyond that a little bit. So. Yes, very much so. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's all for today. But we'll see you next time. Across the Veil.